we're going to do it a little bit differently. Uh, we're going to be uh, showing you a video from a guy called George Wheeland. Now, George um, is part of the staff at Kerry Baptist College, and he's had several years of experience in cross-cultural mission and pastoral ministry, and um, has been with Kerry since 1999. He now um, teaches courses and conducts research in biblical studies and mission and supports Kerry's mission focus in the curriculum and community life ministry. And he, um, I've already listened to this message several times this week. It's, I hope you are challenged by as much as I was. And I look forward to talking to you a little bit more about it um, at the end of the message. So hold on to your horses. Stretch and turn around in a circle if you like. But um, yeah, enjoy this message from George. Thank you, guys. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. My name is George Wieland and I'm part of the Kerry Learning Community. And it's my privilege to have this opportunity to share with you something that's uh, very much on my heart as we go through this strange period of transition and particularly into the new year of 2022. And it's this. How far does our church agenda, or we could say our mission agenda, or our community program agenda, or whatever it might be, how much does our agenda obstruct our vision of God's kingdom and um, hinder our participation in what God is doing and in the community that God is building throughout the world? I get that challenge in part from the Book of Acts that I've spent some time reading and thinking about and been teaching during this last semester. And let me take you to the first chapter. We'll read a few verses and then consider the ways in which this tension of our agenda against God's kingdom vision can come into play. If you've got a Bible of access to one, Acts chapter 1, um, verses 1 to 12. The first um, few verses uh, are Luke, the author, saying that uh, he wrote in a previous book about all that Jesus did. And now, having spent some time um, post-resurrection in ministering to them and teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God, now Jesus is preparing for the ascension and what will um, transpire after that. So if we're looking for a time of transition, and a time of um, fairly catastrophic change. This is it for the disciples. The experience that they've had of life with the physical Jesus is going to end. And now they're entering into a new phase of life, not only for them, but for the world. Jesus is preparing them for that. So pick up the reading in chapter 1 of Acts and verse 6. 
So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Do you see the tension? After Jesus has spoken about the kingdom for 40 days, a substantial period of time in which he's teaching about this kingdom of God with uh, him as the, as the reigning king that will be realized around the world and in all the cosmos, then they ask a question and the question betrays their own agenda. What I think we can recognize as our kind of agenda a church agenda, says, Lord, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Two key components. One, it's about us, our place, our hopes, our role. Secondly, it's looking back. It's saying, will you restore what was once ours? what we were so proud of, what we tell stories about, what we um, sing songs about, the great days of the past when King David and King Solomon and other great kings ruled and the world took notice. But now things are so difficult and so bad and we are so distressed. Are you going to restore what we once had? And then, as I say, it's about them. The extent of their vision is the best they've known in the past and their immediate context and surroundings and place, their place and their nation, their kingdom. So they're looking to the risen Jesus and in effect they're saying, so now that you have defeated death, what are you going to do for us? Well, Jesus' response turns that around and says, look, all of that kind of stuff it's not for you to know about. Here's what you need to know. It's not about what I will do for you. It's about what you will do for me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be the people through whom the reality of the risen life of Jesus becomes manifest and demonstrable in the world. And it's not just about your place. It's about everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I find that challenging because I know what it feels like to be sucked into an agenda that's about me or about my church or my hopes or, or my intentions, my purposes. And I'm tempted to cry out in these times, Lord, 
you're all powerful. What are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for your church in Aotearoa, New Zealand? And maybe I, and perhaps more than me, maybe some of us need to hear Jesus say, look, there are some things that just shouldn't be your main concern. But listen, you will be my witnesses. You will be the people through whom the reality of the risen life of Jesus, the reality of the kingdom, the rule of Jesus, is going to be manifest in the world. And it's not just for you and your place. And it's not just about restoring great things that you remember from the past. It's about something new, about something growing, about something that will extend to the very ends of the earth. And then we see this working all the way through the Book of Acts. Um, and we could pick pretty well any page in that book and find this tension between church agenda and the kingdom vision and purpose. But particularly, it becomes a matter of dispute in the church and the growing church when it comes to the question of who can belong. You remember that uh, in Acts chapter 6, there's the first instance really of, of major disruption in the church. It has been a lot of good news about the growing church in Jerusalem, about the wonderful times they're having in the community that they were able to live in and be part of. But tensions grew. And these tensions in chapter 6 came about through insider and outsider groups. Let me read again, Acts chapter 6 at, at, at verse 1. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking people, they were still Jews, but they were Greek-speaking and probably from the wider area who had travelled into Jerusalem um, for the festivals. They complained against the Hebrews, more like the in-group, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve um, called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. Now, th this is often um, read and interpreted and preached about as an issue of growth. It's getting bigger, there's too much work for the existing leaders to cope with, and so the sensible thing is to appoint other people um, to do other parts of the work. Now, yes, that, that's um, valid, that is happening here, but there's more involved in this. Let's read on. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Strange names, eh? They're a bit different to the names of the Galilean apostles. In fact, every one of those names is Greek, Greek-speaking. And so what that suggests is that the people who were brought into ministry roles in the church were from the outsider community. 
the Hellenists had been um, recognizing that they were not being treated as well as the insider group. They didn't have the same access to the leaders. They didn't have the same networks in the city. And so the solution that is found under the guidance of the spirit is opening up the ministry team, the leadership team to people from the outsider group. And then when they join the team, then things happen that go far beyond what was envisaged in simply having a crowd of people who could help in this specific task, important as it was, of making sure that the needs of all in the community were met. From now on, um, the, those seven, we only hear about two of them really, but they become significant leaders in the mission of the church. Stephen becomes a bold evangelist amongst other Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem, and he becomes a martyr. Philip is the one who crosses the border to Samaria and goes to them preaching the gospel, and the apostles Peter and John have to follow along in the footsteps of, of this recently appointed minister who has the one with the kingdom vision, the boundary-crossing courage, and out of that comes a, a new phenomenon, the Samaria turns to faith, and then Philip's also the one through whom God reaches the Ethiopian eunuch, and um, it, it, it goes on from there, you know, that the story of reaching out to the ends of the earth. And, you know, this is also one of the issues that we are encountering in the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that of the in-group and the out-group, the insiders and the outsiders, even in the very specific um, terms in relation to migration and different people groups. Do you know that New Zealand is one of the most diverse populations in the world? And in fact, the cities, the major cities, are even considered hyper-diverse. So what is going on? And what was going on in Jerusalem as those people were gathered from the various places and locations of the Jewish dispersion diaspora into Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, when by the miracle of Pentecost, they all heard the wonders of God declared in their own local languages that they'd been brought up with and that they recognized and that they responded to from their hearts. God's community, God's kingdom community, has always been a diverse community. And it's as this diversity is recognized and celebrated and embraced that the witness to the Lord Jesus Christ becomes more powerful, not only here, but across those diaspora networks, as happens in the Book of Acts, and across to the world. So there's a challenge for us, because often in this specific respect, the church agendas can militate against embracing God's kingdom purpose. There are very few churches that I've come across in Aotearoa or in Scotland, where I came from, that could be considered genuinely multicultural, genuinely diverse. You get some where the leaders or even the members say, yeah, we've become such a multicultural church. But what they mean is that there is a diverse congregation, but the leadership is monocultural. And 
those who seem to count for anything in the church are of one dominant cultural group. That's not a kingdom vision. Because the question is not, as it was in Acts chapter 6, uh, the, the, the church agenda, which was a good one, was how do we look after those people who've come from somewhere else? Now, that's important. But what God had in mind was what will happen and what can be done once those who have come from elsewhere are recognized as gifted people full of the spirit and wisdom with ministry to offer and mission in which they can take the lead. And that's the question that we have also. What will happen in our churches if we see those who come recently or from some time ago into a dominant community? If instead we think what of the agenda of the dominant culture has to be surrendered in order for the vision of God's kingdom community to be realized. Let me close with a, a tale of two churches. Now, these aren't in New Zealand, so um, don't try and guess where they are. But they're two churches that I know reasonably well. Um, and both of them, in the same general part of town, um, both of them beginning some years ago as uh, missions, really, in a part of town that was considered to be particularly needy in a number of ways and challenging. And uh, those two churches are still in existence, still going, but um, so different. And I hear about them through a friend, uh, you know, somebody the same age as me that I've known for um, for years. And he'd been away from church for decades, but uh, he's been finding his way back. And he, he has been in both. And in one of them, the building is in pristine condition. Oh my goodness. It's polished, it's tidy, it's clean. Um, they've put quite a lot of money um, into making it even better and attractive. But quite some resistance to any change. Um, I happen to know that they're in, in that area that both those churches are in, there's a um, the, the population, the demographics have changed. Um, Just tell me when it's um Well, welcome back. I hope you um enjoyed that message. Certainly um there are some things in it that challenged me while I was listening to it during the week. Um I thought about how um in that time when Jay, Jay, get it right, when Jesus was ministering, and 
and about his kingdom, and his disciples still questioned, was he going to recall their kingdom, restore their kingdom on land? Was he going to bring it back so that he was going to conquer everyone and they would once again be in charge? Do you think, do, I guess my question to you is, do you see any parallels to what is happening now in our nation? We want God to make it all better, but actually God wants us to, to fulfill his mission instead. And I guess that's for us to th- reflect on what is our mission today. The tale of the two churches. What kind of church do we want to be? How do you think we're doing? What could we be doing more of? I certainly um, was struck by the bit about the multicultural church. Are we a church of different cultures? And I don't mean just dis- different nationalities. There is different cultures even within... New Zealand, New Zealand Pakeha, different social cultures, where we've grown and how that's shaped us. Are we as a church reaching out to all the different groups of people that we come across? Or are we just very white patriarchal? I guess there are some church uh, questions that um, we as a church should be praying about, perhaps even as individuals. How do we treat others from other nations, other cultures, when we are worshipping with them? I was struck the other day when I was with someone from a different culture and we were watching something on TV and it made that culture the the butt of the joke. And I was actually quite horrified to realise that unknowingly, myself, I am acting out racism. By fight, Well, racism, I don't know, but... You know, do we watch things on TV in a particular culture as the butt of the joke? We find it funny until the person we are sitting with is from that culture. Does that challenge us? So the questions I thought we, as your host Holmes, might like to talk about were some that he raised um, and that George raised in his message. Um, Jack's going to put them up on the screen behind me. He probably already has. <laughs> so how much of our church agenda do we need to let go of so that we can participate in God's kingdom purpose? What challenges you personally about what God about what George shared from this message? And can you relate to anything in today's message? Maybe you can't. Maybe there's nothing in today's message that strikes you. And number four, what do you do to know God's will for your life? And I'm not saying you have to discuss all these questions. You might just want to finish with prayer after the end of our service. And you might just want to have a chat about your week and pray for each other. But perhaps during the week you can reflect about what it is in this message that has struck you. And what is God trying to say to us as a church or us as individuals about our own relationship with him and our mission for him so thanks Mike